Luke chapter 19, verse 1. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And also, if you'll turn into the back of the hymnal to page 928, 928, on the left-hand side of the page, first column, chapter 15 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 15, page 928. The chapter is entitled, Of Repentance Unto Life. Section 1, Repentance unto Life is an Evangelical Grace, the doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel, as well as that of faith in Christ. 2, By it, a sinner, out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins as to turn from them all unto God, purposing purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. Number three, although repentance be not to be rested in, as any satisfaction for sin, or any cause of the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may may expect pardon without it. Number four, as there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great, that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. Number five, men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. Number six, every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof. Upon which, and the, 
upon which, excuse me, and the forsaking of them, he shall find mercy. So he that scandalizeth his brother or the church of Christ ought to be willing by a private or public confession and sorrow for his sin to declare his repentance to those that are offended who are thereupon to be reconciled to him and in love to receive him. Amen. Well, tonight we are talking about repentance, and we opened with the story, boys and girls, that I bet many of you knew, uh, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and he climbed up in the tree to see Jesus, and to the shock of the crowd, Jesus tells Zacchaeus to come down out of the tree because they're having lunch together. And Zacchaeus and Jesus, no doubt, hear the people beginning to murmur and grumble. It says here that he is going to be a guest of a man who is a sinner in verse 7. And so notice there that Luke tells us at that moment, Zacchaeus stopped. Because he heard people murmuring that he was a sinner. And so he, in order to make clear where he stood with Jesus, he said, Behold, Lord, half my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, that is, if I've cheated, boys and girls, anybody out of their money, he said, I will give back four times as much. Now, why would he do that? Well, because he's, he is making restitution. And so Zacchaeus here is showing, not only does he have faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah who has come to save sinners, but he's demonstrating that faith through evangelical obedience to the law of God in doing what God says, that that his repentance is not going to be just a general repentance, but he's specifically going to repent of fraud and that those whom he has cheated in the past, he is going to make good. I knew a fellow, didn't know him personally, but knew of him, who um, broke into a couple's home, held them up at gunpoint, and stole uh, their money. Uh, while he was in prison, he became a Christian. He came to faith in Jesus Christ and uh, began his work of repentance. The first thing he began to do is he wrote uh, to the couple whom he had robbed, uh, of his grief and his sorrow of what he had done. Then, after he got out of prison, even though this was not required by the court, he began to take money. Uh, once he got out of jail and took a job, he began to take money out of his paycheck and send it to that couple every month as a form of restitution. And uh, th- what Jesus says here is very interesting about that. He, notice that Jesus says what? Today, salvation has come to this house, meaning Zacchaeus' house, because he too is a son of Abraham. That is, he has shown himself to be truly converted and to have true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So we want to talk about what is uh, real repentance? What is true repentance? I want to begin... uh, by just citing the definition here that we find in our Shorter Catechism, question 87. What is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace, whereby a sinner 
out of a true sense of his sin, so that they are truly convicted of their sinfulness, and the apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. So repentance here is, first of all, notice here, it is a saving grace. Look with me at Matthew chapter 3 in your Bible. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. The New Testament often speaks about the necessity of repentance. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness, preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah. And he tells the congregation that is gathered to him out by the Jordan, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, so notice here that John is saying that the people needed to turn. They needed to have an apprehension of their sin and misery, but they needed to turn away from it. If you look at Matthew chapter 4 in the next chapter, in verse 17, you'll notice that this also was the theme of Jesus' ministry. In verse 17 of Matthew 4, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So notice there, John the Baptist calling for repentance. Jesus calling for repentance. It's also the... Uh, apostolic message. If you look at Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of the Lord is poured out at Pentecost. Jesus has ascended to heaven. And what do they preach in that first sermon under the blessing of the Lord? Well, they preach repentance. Um, what must we do to be saved? They, they are called upon here uh, to repent of their sins and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them the first words, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So repentance can be thought of as something of the other side of the coin of faith. Faith and repentance are distinct, but they are inseparable. Faith and repentance are distinct graces and an outworking of the Holy Spirit in our life, but they nevertheless are uh, inseparable. And this is the thing that the, both the confession and the catechism show to us is that first of all, and this is our first point, that repentance is a saving grace. Repentance is a saving grace. That's point number one. It is a wonder work of the Spirit. That we are told in the, in the Gospels that heaven uh, rejoices in one sinner who repents. Why? Why is there so much joy in heaven over a sinner who repents? Because that shows that it is genuinely a real work of God. Just as last week when we were considering what is saving faith... And we said that saving faith is a gift of God, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. So also is repentance. We should marvel at repentance because repentance is not a natural work of men. 
Men are blame shifters. Men point the finger at others. It's this woman you gave me, Lord, that caused me to eat of this. You know, the woman says, it's this serpent that you created, God, that deceived me. Everybody's blaming everybody else. Uh, it, it is a work of God's spirit that causes us to, to confess the guilt and to turn from it. Think with me here about tonight, all the people that are in hell. They've already died. They've died outside of Jesus Christ. And they already have begun, uh, as the confession says, to serve out their sentence in hell, at least in the, their spirit. They will serve in body and spirit later after they are brought before the tribunal of God in the great day of judgment. It's kind of like you get arrested and you, you go to the jail and if found guilty, then you go to prison. So the, the, the same idea here, that a sinner who dies without Christ is placed in hell, and even though they have begun to experience the judgments and the wrath and the torments of hell, not one person in hell repents. No matter how bad it gets, we are told, indeed, in fact, that they blaspheme God in the book of Revelation. When the curses and the judgments of God fall upon the people, they curse God all the more. And so you have this vicious cycle of continuing in sin in, under the wrath of God. And what happens? The wrath of God increases. But the wrath of God does not bring about repentance. It brings about further blasphemy. And you have this terrible uh, cycle of sin and further judgment under the wrath and curse of God. And so we should marvel when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ and really turns from their sins and begins to live a new life in Jesus Christ. This is a wonder work of the Spirit of God. This is something that we should rejoice in even as heaven does. Now let me say by application, it also means we should really uh, and sincerely pray for the Spirit to work repentance in people's lives. Only if, if repentance is a gift of God, only the Spirit will apply it. And so we ought to, therefore, as believers, pray for the Spirit of God. This is our great need in the culture today, is a fresh outpouring of the Spirit where people are brought to a, a position like we find in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39 that we just read, where people are brought to that point where they say, what must I do to be saved? I remember one of my assignments in seminary was to interview a pastor uh, for a uh, pastoral uh, theology class that I had. And of course, I interviewed my pastor at the time, Pastor Larry Miniger in Orlando. One of the questions that I decided to ask him is, what is different about your ministry now, that is when I was interviewing him in the 90s, than when you began in the early 1970s. And uh, it was interesting, his response was quite quick. He says, I deal a whole lot less now with people who are deeply under conviction of sin than I did uh, when I began my ministry. It was not uh, unusual at times to see people distraught, uh, with their sense of sin and guilt and, and, and pleading with help for the pastor to help them find relief for this sense of 
judgment that they were under. Uh, and he said that as his ministry had gone on in the decades, that he found that to be increasingly rare in his counseling uh, with people. We are uh, in need of that very thing, that people need to become first conscious of sin and uh, the sinfulness of sin. I'm going to refer to Thomas Vincent a few times tonight, who's a, a Puritan, boys and girls, and uh, they, it might be a retitle of his book. I'm not sure that that's what he titled his book, but I think you can buy his book, The Sinfulness of Sin. Uh, and it, it is a book about how terrible sin is, why it's better uh, to suffer all kinds of terrible things in this life than to even sin once uh, because of the awfulness of it. Well, we need a new sense of consciousness of this if people are going to turn away from it. So I want to encourage you to pray. If you look at Ezekiel uh, chapter 36, the, the reason that so few uh, come under this deep conviction of sin is because their heart is stone. In Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26, I'll just start... Um, just for sake of context, at verse 24, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is God bringing his people back. And you will be clean, and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Now look at verse 26, though. He says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart. Now why do they need a new heart, boys and girls? Because they have a bad heart right now. They have a heart that is hard as a rock. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, Zacchaeus, boys and girls, Zacchaeus once had a heart of stone. That's why he, he cheated people. He didn't think anything bad about that. Um, he, he no doubt excused what he did, and he justified it in his own mind, why he would cheat and defraud people. And what God did by his spirit is he took out that heart of stone and he gave, according to the promise of Ezekiel, I will gather my people and I will give them a heart of flesh. That's exactly what the Lord did here um, in Luke. He said, and going back to Ezekiel, he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So no longer will you be walking contrary to the statutes. You'll be walking in those statutes. And notice what he says, you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You know, I, I have a sense of appreciation for folks who, um, you know, don't scrupulize overly too much, but at least will try to have a sense of scruples. I don't want to give you over to scrupulosity, but people who do try to think deeply about the commandments of God as it applies to every area of life, that we be careful to observe the ordinances. Repentance, again, is not just a general repentance, but a, a repentance of particular sins, particularly as we read here. Now, not only is uh, repentance a saving grace, but it also brings about a true sense of sin. Now, what is a true sense of sin? 
Well, first of all, it distinguishes, uh, for example, as we've said in our study of Hebrews, somebody who is like Peter with somebody who is like Judas. On the same night, who had the true sense of sin? That is, who had the true grief and hatred of what they had just done? We have to distinguish repentance from mere remorse. An unconverted person who is devoid of the Spirit of God working in their life can have remorse. But it is not a remorse that turns them from their evil course. They can be sad for a variety of reasons. Maybe they're sad they got caught. Maybe they're sad at the consequences of what they've done, that their wife is now going to divorce them. Maybe they're sad that their name and reputation is not what it used to be in the community because of what they have done. Remorse um, could be merely at the shame that sin brings. Uh, it is not necessarily, though, repentance. So we see that Judas, we are told in the Gospels, had remorse over what he had done. Judas goes back to the temple and he says, I have betrayed an innocent man. And they say, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And he throws the coin in the coins in the temple. But then what does he do? He murders. He breaks another commandment of God. And he murders himself. Rather than repenting like Peter. When we see Peter, what do we see? We see Peter turning from his sin. What did Peter do? He denied the Lord three times. And what do we see on the beach with Peter and Jesus? We see Peter saying, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. He three times says and confesses his love for Jesus Christ, even as three times he denied the Lord. Three times he uh, owned the Lord and confessed his actual love for the Lord. And that, that uh, was the same mouth that later would be the preaching of this sermon that would tell people to repent in Acts chapter 2. Let me say a few things by way of application of this sense of true sense of sin that our confession and catechism bring forth on this subject. First of all, we don't want to short-circuit those that may come under a conviction of sin. Now, this is tempting for us because... Nobody likes to see, especially if it's a loved one or, you know, a, a child. We, we don't want to see them under that sense of agony. Uh, we want to bring a quick measure of relief. Now, we should direct them to Jesus Christ. When somebody comes to you and says, I need to talk, because I, I feel this burden in my life, this weight of sin or this particular sin that I have committed in my life and I can't seem to get any relief. And so they come to you privately and they want to talk to you. We encourage them to turn from that sin, first of all, and we point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. But we want to be careful not to prematurely try to abort that sense of conviction by saying something like, oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. We, we don't want to try and really put a, a Band-Aid on it. Remember that one of the problems 
with the ministry in the days of the prophets was they were saying, peace, peace. When there was no peace, God said. We're not reconciled yet. I still have issues with you, my people. And you have not truly yet turned from those sins and repented of them and come to me. We see this, you know, with, uh, in the book of Nehemiah. Remember, Nehemiah gets on to the people of God. They, this is just after they've come out of captivity. Remember, they've been in captivity for 70 years. They come back by the grace of God. And what are they doing? They're enslaving their fellow Hebrews. The law explicitly prohibited enslavement of your fellow Hebrews. And, and they did this, and Nehemiah says, this is wrong. These are one of the many reasons we were led into captivity. You have to stop this. And so they say, okay. And they do. But what happens? They end up going back and re-enslaving. They're like, man, what was I thinking? That was not good. Go and get him back and bring back my slave. And they, they bring them back. That's not repentance. They had maybe a temporary conviction. They maybe had some inward remorse about it for a season, but it was nothing that lasted. It was nothing that turned them to Christ. So we always want people to, who, who are laboring under a sense of conviction, under a sense of guilt for their sins, we, we don't want to minimize that, but we do want them to utilize it to lead them to Christ. We want them to see that there is no hope for them other than Jesus Christ. There, and if you are outside of Christ tonight, the only thing we can do for you is point you to Jesus Christ. You need to turn from sin to Jesus Christ. Um, you will not atone for any sin by trying to say, well, I'll, maybe I'll, if I just work hard at being a good girl, I'll just try to be a super good girl at home. That will make up for what I've done. That cannot atone for sin. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can atone for sin. We must turn from sin, not to our works, but to Christ, if it be true repentance. One of the reasons, you know, we need revival in our culture um, is for this very reason that our culture needs a sense of its guilt of what it's doing. I remember many years ago, one uh, theologian was speaking of sin, much like you go to the weather channel or the AccuWeather on the computer and you, you bring up the radar and you see the green blob, you know, or the blue blob coming across the state of Georgia from Alabama. And... And it's a, it, it is a, a, the blob there, boys and girls, is the, is the storm clouds that are coming through. And in the same way, he said that the radar, you know, God has this kind of spiritual radar, and, and every day he sees the clouds of sin rising up. Revival is nothing different, really, than what God does ordinarily from Sunday to Sunday. It's just that there may be a season where God may bring greater intensity to greater numbers of people. Revival, sometimes I think we think of revival as only excitement 
and and isn't this excited uh, exciting people are getting excited there there's lots of enthusiasm there's lots of singing but really a genuine revival can be a time of terrible distress for a lot of people it can it can be time consuming long hours of having to counsel people um, who, who are under this sense of guilt. Now, some people find relief quickly. Others may have to wrestle with God for a season. Um, I don't know if this story is true, but I read about a story in, over in Scotland during a time of revival where the, the husband was a, a notorious sinner in the community. But during a, a season of awakening, he came under a deep conviction uh, of his guilt and misery enough to prostrate himself on the floor. And he's crying out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And his wife says, yes, Lord, but not just yet. <laughs> You've been long in those sins. Let them <laughs> lay there. Now, I'm not sure I would uh, counsel that, but... But some have to wrestle for a season uh, before they find peace with God. Uh, I've read of accounts where people for days or sometimes weeks and some even, even months, sometimes it, the, it seems like the greater the person who is used by God later after their conversion, the longer and deeper they went through this agony. You think Martin Luther's classic example, Luther's struggling with this for years. Um, and finding no peace. You could read John Bunyan and about his experience and, and others uh, likewise. Um, but, but this too often bears good fruit because sometimes those who spring up quickly are those who just wither away later on. Um, they are caught up in, in some kind of emotionalism or a sense of a, a conviction, but it doesn't lead to a true a conversion, the Word of God and the Spirit of God do not get deep down into the crevices of the heart. And so because there is this superficial sense of sin, yes, I know I'm a sinner, everybody's a sinner kind of thing, then there becomes this superficial repentance and superficial faith in Jesus Christ. One of the reasons we need to preach the law of God uh, with conviction is so that people appreciate the Savior more, that the gospel stands out more clearly, the, the more we preach against the particulars of sin and bring people under the weight of that law and their sense of sinfulness under the law of God, the more they lay hold of Jesus Christ if they truly are children of God. So the, the preacher at times needs to try to get the word down into the dark places. This is where I think the second Reformation generation uh, really excelled. Um, that Second Reformation, I mean those, those Puritans, you think of the magisterial reformers, Luther, Calvin, Knox, Zwingli, et cetera, et cetera. But then, you know, an, another, you know, generation comes along that now has had the gospel light for a while, and they were able to then make new advances, I think. And, and one of those, I think, was this sense of being a physician of the soul, that the pastor deals uh, with the... Um, the, the inworkings of a sinner, uh, John Owen, probably a master at, at that, of diagnosing uh, the, the skillfulness of sinners to evade the law and how um, the Puritans sought to give them no quarter 
to bring them to the place where they could only go to Jesus Christ if the Spirit of God would work in their life in that way. Now, why must we grieve over sin and hate sin, as the confession says? Why, why is it something that we must grieve over? Well, Thomas Vincent, whom I promised I would quote here or reference, Thomas Vincent, in his book on the subject of sin, says, because it works a greater willingness to leave the sin. That is, when we meditate on our sin and grieve over it, we come to hate it more. And when we have greater hatred of it, there is greater fortification in us to want to leave it and get away from it and not to go back to it like a dog to its vomit, as Proverbs says. James chapter 4, verse 9 seems to back this up. He says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Now, you don't hear that in the evangelical church much today. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. I think a lot of evangelicals think that that's some kind of, you know, um, maybe an overreaction to the way that Rome tried to, you know, get people, the deeper the remorse somehow, that that paid for sins. Um, and the Puritans are clear on this. No, 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 no. Remorse for sin does not pay for sin. Repentance is never, just like faith last week, repentance is never the ground of our salvation. Repentance is never the ground of our salvation. It, it, it is always uh, Christ and his work that is the ground of our salvation. But James says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy uh, to heaviness. You can look at uh, Jeremiah in chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 18 to 20. Listen to what the prophet says. Jeremiah 31, 18. I have surely heard Ephraim grieving. You have chastised me, and I was chastised like an untrained calf. This, this is the people of God saying this to the Lord. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. For after I turned back, I repented. After I was instructed, I smote my thigh. I was ashamed and also humiliated because I bore the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a delightful child? Indeed, as often as I have spoken against him, I certainly still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Do you hear that? Back and forth, the, the people of Ephraim are, are saying, Lord, we have sinned. We are terrible. We, we smite our thigh, boys and girls. Meaning they're, they, the, the emotional effect of thinking and contemplating their wickedness has caused them just to hit their own thigh in a sense of demonstration of how much grief and shame they have over this. And so they confess this to God. And they ask God, please bring us back and restore us. Help us, Lord. I turned back. I repented. Re restore me, O Lord. And, and notice what God says. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a delightful child? And he says, I certainly still remember him. That's God speaking back to them. After these people have come 
to the sense of heaviness over their sin and even to the point of great public remorse and confession of that sin, God says that he welcomes them as his people. Again, Thomas Vincent, the Puritan, says, Hatred for sin puts weapons into our hands to fight against it. Hatred for sin puts weapons in our hands to fight against it. Now, this raises a question, and that is this. Can a truly repentant person turn back to their former sins? Yes and no. Yes and no. Can a truly repentant person turn back to their former sins? Yes, in the sense that they may fall back into them. That is, we should realize that just as we saw last week, that our faith is never a perfect faith. That's why your faith is not the ground of justification. Otherwise, you would have to have perfect faith. Your repentance is not perfect either. Again, that's why repentance is not the ground of your justification. So it is possible for somebody to be truly repentant, truly converted, and yet they begin their walk, as one minister said, with fits and starts. Uh, they, they are like that toddler just learning to walk. They are unstable, and they may indeed fall back into former ways. But the Bible says that they will get up. They, they, though they fall, the Lord will uh, renew their strength and cause them to mount up as on eagles' wings. He will lift them back up onto their feet, and they will run to the Lord again. But there are others who have an appearance of repentance, but they go back to their sins, and they stay in those sins. And so they show themselves never to have had true repentance. They are as I said from Proverbs, that dog who goes back to its sickness. So we see the, uh, work, the work of repentance is a saving grace. We see that we need a true apprehension of uh, our sin and misery. And then we have to go to Jesus Christ always. We must apprehend Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, we have various reasons to go to Christ. First of all, we know that God is slow to anger, and he is great in kindness. And so that those who truly do go to him in faith will receive blessing from him. In Exodus chapter 34, you don't have to turn there, but in verse 6, then the Lord passed by in front of him, and proclaim, this is God passing by Moses, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. But notice here that while he warns us against sin, he also is showing us how he abounds in love, grace, compassion, forgiveness. In Jesus Christ, we find the greatest expression of God's love and mercy towards us. Jesus Christ loves sinners. 
We need to remind ourselves of that for our own sake and for the sake of others. Jesus Christ loves sinners. Jesus does not come to seek the righteous in his own earthly ministry, and he does not seek them in his heavenly ministry. Jesus Christ is seeking people weighed down with a sense of a heavy burden because he said, come unto me, you who are weary, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will make your yoke easy and your burden light. I will take the burden of sin for you. I will take it. I will wear it, boys and girls. Jesus is offering himself to sinners, saying, you are weighed down with your sense of guilt. You are weighed down with a sense of heaviness and shame and grief over the sins you have committed in my sight. But Jesus says, fear not. I will take that burden. I will wear that burden for you and die for that on the cross. And so it is in Pilgrim's Progress that John Bunyan sees Christian going up to the wicked gate, to the cross, and as he beholds the cross with an eye of faith, the burden that had long weighed him down, in which he could get no help through legality, in which he could get no help through a variety of other efforts and means, he got instantly when he beheld Jesus Christ. The burden falls off his back. The stone of sin rolls back and it goes into the empty tomb. Jesus' mercy is wide, the Bible says. Jesus says to sinners, even here tonight, go and sin no more. Jesus is the one who sits in the dust, writing with his finger, while Satan and all the accusers of you are leaving one by one. Just like the woman brought to Jesus, caught in adultery, and Jesus turns to her after all her accusers have left her presence. Are there none who condemn you? And she says, no, Lord, not one. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Jesus had the right to condemn. Remember, you can't be condemned unless there are two witnesses. And Jesus said, let ye who are without sin throw the first stone. Let ye who are without sin be the first witness against this woman and they all, under a conviction of sin, leave. And Jesus says, I do not condemn you either. Jesus has paid for the entirety of the law's demands in full. Jesus Christ has satisfied God's justice eternally for sinners who believe in him. The wrath and curse of God is completely propitiated. That means, young people, to propitiate means to satisfy or appease divine wrath. God is angry with the wicked every day. Why is he not angry then with us? Because Jesus has already propitiated that judgment for us. God is not angry with the church every day as he is with the lost and with the world because they have not had their sins propitiated yet through faith in Jesus Christ. But God's wrath is satisfied completely. The grace of Jesus Christ is wide enough for all kinds of sinners. Whether you're a Presbyterian sinner or whether you're a sinner who has the smell of the world still on your clothing, Jesus Christ saves all kinds of sinners. 
whether you're a pew-sitting sinner or a barstool-sitting sinner. It doesn't matter. All sinners are invited to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ offers himself to all who will turn to him and turn away from their sin. If you come to Christ, you must come to the whole Savior of Jesus Christ. The whole of Christ is offered to sinners. All three offices, his prophet, his priesthood, his kingship, are all put before us here. But notice here that the confession says that when we repent and believe in Jesus Christ, we repent unto what the confession says is a new obedience unto him. What does this new obedience mean? Well, it means that we begin to keep God's commandments. It means we begin Sabbath keeping according to the fourth commandment. It means we tell the truth according to the ninth commandment. It means we love others according to the second great commandment. It means we die to ourself, as Jesus said. It means we're devoted to prayer, as the Apostle Paul states in Colossians 4.2. It means we submit to the magistrate, as Peter tells us and Paul in Romans 13. It means we honor our parents according to the fifth commandment. It means we get concerned about discipling the nations, according to Matthew 28. It means abstaining from sexual lust, according to 1 Thessalonians 4.2. It means being filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and abstaining from drunkenness, according to Ephesians 5.18. It means letting no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. It means being faithful to our word. When we say yes, we mean yes, and when we say no, we mean no. It means worshiping God rightly with a heart and not just going through the motions and drawing near. And it means finally loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. 